Welcome to another episode of Sisters in Conversation, the podcast. I'm your host, Debello Motani. I'm an attorney by profession and the founder of a platform called Sister in Law, which is a platform dedicated to empowering women through legal education. On today's episode, I have Rorisang Mzozoyan. Rorisang holds a BALLB from Rhodes University, an LLM from WITS, and holds various certificates in property finance training and development. She's an admitted attorney of the High Court of South Africa with over 14 years legal experience. Rory Sang completed her articles at Bowman's in 2009 and in 2011 she moved to New York for 18 months where she worked for a global corporate law firm called Clearly Goit Liebstein and Hamilton, which was a life-changing experience for her. She got to work on finance deals with some of the biggest corporations on Wall Street and on her return to South Africa, she began working for Norton Rose Fulbright before then moving to one of South Africa's biggest banks as a senior legal counsel vice president. Rory Sang's area of practice is property finance and she advises on commercial property finance transactions across South Africa and the rest of the African continent. She previously lectured real estate law at Wits University and until three years ago, she was on the Committee of Women in Property Network Western Cape. Rory Sang's accolades include being listed as maiden guardian top 200 young South African in 2017. As a thought leader in the legal profession, she has published a number of legal articles in online and hard copy media, including Business Day, MoneyWeb, Without Prejudice, Asset Publishing, LinkedIn, and on her blog called Off Council. She was featured on the cover of the September 2020 issue of the digital property magazine Provocate and has facilitated, moderated, and presented at seminars, workshops, and webinars hosted by big law firms and banks in New York and South Africa, as well as industry bodies like the Women in Property Network and the South African Property Owners Association. Lastly, Rory Sang is the founder and CEO of the company, of the company called Of Council which she runs as a passion project. Of Council has the ambitious goal of changing how we think about, learn about, and practice the law. The company also aims to promote innovation, design thinking, and digital transformation within the legal industry. Her and her team are working on a few projects to achieve these objectives, which they will then hopefully be rolling out in the next few months. And on a personal front, Rory Sang is a mother to three gorgeous girls who are six years, two years, and six months, and she's a wife. She's also a wine enthusiast and loves cooking and exploring the Western Cape with her family. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Rory Sang. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, Tibelo. How are you? Good, good. Finally, so excited to be speaking to you. You and I have been LinkedIn friends for the well, friends. I'd like to call us friends. <laughs> We've been LinkedIn friends yes. for the longest time. And um, I'm so happy to have you on season two of the show. I had my eye on you on season one, but because I'd already pre-recorded everything, I didn't have any space for you. And I think I was a little bit scared of you back then. <laughs> I know, man. That's um, that's so funny. Uh, it's weird that you say that, hey, because I think we um, we all like stalk each other on LinkedIn. And to be honest, I also had an eye on you on LinkedIn in season one. I was like, <clears throat> when is she inviting you to a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Eventually came. But I think we all um, 
there's a few um especially black women on linkedin who mm. are doing the most and i'm mm. just like putting themselves out there and i think um we sort of all stalk each other on face on on linkedin if we were mm. not like already friends or have worked together before mm. so mm. yes mm. i also had an eye on you in season one. Oh yeah so thank you it's about time <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That honestly makes me feel so much better. And, you know, I, I always tell my mentees that they really, really, really should capitalize on LinkedIn. Even if you're not job hunting, it's a really great platform to position yourself as, as a woman in a specific industry and to get your name out there for free, literally. I totally um, agree with you. Um, LinkedIn is such a great platform and, um, and it's free. And as we say, as as we like talking about uh, before the podcast um, interview, I just don't understand why anyone wouldn't put themselves out on LinkedIn, even if you don't have an idea of what you want to do, or maybe you don't know whether you want to start a business or do something on your own. Mm. I think just getting out there and profiling yourself and starting mm. to build a brand before you even need to use it, I think is a great way to go about things. Absolutely. And what an easy tool to network because you're all the way in Cape Town. I'm in Joburg, but here we are, you know, um, communicating to each other with each other every once in a while. We're now also hosting or, you know, on the podcast remotely. So what a great way to also just network without without any of the feelings of intimidation that we usually have when we have to network in, in person. Exactly. Totally agree. All right, Rory, can you please take us to the very, very beginning? Let's start at the beginning. Who is Rory? Where were you born? How many siblings do you have? Um, where did you go to high school, primary school? And what then motivated you to pursuing a career in law? Sure, we're taking it uh, all the way back, yeah? All the way um, to the womb. Rory or Rory Sang is a girl from a small town um, called Butterworth in the Eastern Cape. That's where I was born. Um, I've got five siblings and um, yeah, I was born in the Eastern Cape. I went to a school in the Eastern Cape called uh, Kanye English Medium School. Mm. Uh, it was actually a school that my parents ran. Um, and the motivation behind it was, and my mom always tells me when I was in preschool, you know, I went to a mixed, and it was during apartheid then, and we lived in the trans guy. Mm -hmm. And I went to like a mixed um, primary school. And then one day they came to fetch me early and we were, the black kids were all sitting outside with the lady cutting the grass and all the white kids were inside being, um, going through like lessons and stuff. And my parents were just so angry about that. And they're like, mm -hmm. Well, there are no quality schools for black kids where we live. All the schools, the mixed schools are racist. So they actually started homeschooling us, me and mm -hmm. my um, younger siblings. And then other kids also then started uh, getting homeschooled. Um, and then eventually they had so many kids. My mom was doing um, homeschooling for so many kids that we, they actually ended up having to move out and find alternative premises and that mushroomed mm -hmm. into a primary school. And that's where my brothers and I initially started our education. And then for high school, um, I left, well, we all ended up going to school in Grahamstown. Mm. Um, for high school, I went to a school called Pretoria Girls High in Grahamstown. And that's where I, I, and I completed my matric there. Mm. 
Mm. Um, and then after matric, I went to Rhodes. That's where I did my uh, BA LLB. Um, and what motivated me to study the law? Um, it was my dad, hey, because he, my dad was, I mean, he didn't have a tertiary education or anything like that, but he really loved to read. And I think if it was, if he had been born at a different time in South Africa where he had the opportunities um, to study further, he probably would have been a lawyer, but he was like, fascinated by the law. Mm-hmm. And he would often make us watch like, um, these reports or like court cases on TV and he would actually also go to like the local magistrate's court and like sit there in the gallery and just watch court cases mm-hmm. and he would like love reading about the law and I think I got my affection for the profession from him um, so that's why I think it was a no-brainer for me to study law because I also love to read and I think we had that in common mm-hmm. and so that's why I ended up choosing to do a law degree and I must say I did I I I really enjoyed studying law. It was hard, but because I like to read, I had I think I had a natural affinity to it. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. thank you. And um, I I don't recall having had anybody from Rhodes. So can you just tell us a little bit about your campus experience? I only have a very very vague memory of Rhodes when we went there for high school for some. Um, arts festival and uh, yeah, I just remember <laughs> yeah I just remember you know roads feeling like it was on a mountain um you know in the middle of nowhere and then we had this beautiful old school looking ancient town right you know next to the university I remember we used to walk to like Edgar's or whatever the case was but it was very yeah, very close, I know very, very close to Yes, <laughs> very, very close to the campus. But obviously, we only had um, a week to experience um, campus life. And it was during holidays. So most students weren't even on campus. But how was your overall experience? I've personally heard that um, students from Rhodes drink a lot, lot, lot. <laughs> so, so how was your experience at Rhodes? Uh, we, we played hard and worked hard. Um, Look, I had an amazing experience at, um, at university. I obviously already was familiar with the town. So the town is called um, Gramstown. I think it's called, mm. what's it called? It's, it's called something else at the moment. Uh, Makana, I think it's called Makana now, but it was called Gramstown back then. Mm. And I obviously went to school in Gramstown and I knew the town well. And I started prepping to go to Rhodes, like I think in standard nine. Now I'm showing my age. So it was the year before matric. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so our guidance teacher had an inner Rhodes. And I mean, Rhodes always gives students from like the local schools, like first dibs in. And so I knew exactly what I needed to do to get into Rhodes. And for me, I never thought I would never get into into university. Like, mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this the other day when there was an issue, you know, every year when students try and get into universities in South Africa and there's mm-hmm. like, I don't know, 10,000 applications and they have like 2,000 spots for everyone. I actually think I was very naive in the trick. I didn't mm-hmm. understand, I think, the broader socioeconomic realities of South Africa. Um, in terms of the fact that a lot of people actually apply for university and they don't get in. Mm. Um, I think I probably lived in a bubble because I was in boarding school um, in a privileged setting, Rhodes and Gramstown and the schools around it 
sort of form a bubble. Mm-hmm. And if you live in that bubble, you actually take a lot of things for granted. So I never thought I would never get into university. It was never like an even like a thought. Mm-hmm. I think my big, biggest preoccupation was how many distinctions are you going to get in matric as opposed to are you even going to like make the cut? It never was like a thing. And so, I mean, I, I applied in standard nine, but like the, at the end of standard nine, I already had my acceptance for roads. I'd been working with my career guidance counselor at school, I think since the end of standard age to say, okay, this is the profession you wanna go into. Um, these are your options. Uh, this is what you need to do to get into roads. Um, mm. And yeah, so it was, it, it, it honestly was easy for me to get in and I thought things just, they just happened. But now mm. in retrospect, I actually realized that I was very lucky. I was privileged and to a certain extent because I had a career guidance teacher in school you had the resources, Rhodes was there, you'd go talk to recruiters and you'd have your school with you, like your guidance teacher going mm. with you to talk to guidance counselors. Um, and I had resources that I think I wouldn't even have like from home because not a lot, I mean, my parents didn't go to university at like your historically privileged universities. Mm. They didn't have that mm. Um, and they wouldn't have been able to have those connections and foster um, those opportunities for me. But I, as I said, I was privileged in the sense that, you know, I had a school that had connections to the university and I sort of had that guidance early to make sure that I got into university. Mm. And at Rhodes, I think it was, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my experience. I mean, I went in with a lot of my friends from high school, we're already very familiar with the town. Um, I, I struggled a bit in my first year with just academically and because I, mm. I did very well in the trick. And then I thought going into university would be the same, but I sort of had to, it was not. <laughs> <laughs> responsibility for my own work um doing things way in advance you can't and because of the volume of work that you have to do for your law degree I always say Mm. this to people that law is not hard it's just volume um you need to just do a lot of reading and you need to do it consistently otherwise you're going to be left behind but once Mm. you get stuck Mm. in it's actually not hard um, and so I just had to do like a mind shift. And I think in my second year, things got better. I sort of got the hang of it. Um, my marks improved. Um, I got into like a strategy of how to study, uh, making sure that I do readings in advance. I make notes and I don't wait for like or a week or like the last week of um, the term before I study or like mm, study mm. a week before the exam because just it just won't work with law. Mm, absolutely sure I had a very good experience yeah I absolutely appreciate the fact that you say you know your so this degree was volume before pandemic and I can only Mm. imagine how much more overwhelming it must be for students to have to almost um teach themselves a lot of 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 the work that they're not necessarily able to get support for on campus in the presence of a lecturer 
um, there was, I, I think there was sort of a, you know, unless you went to UNISA, there was sort of a feeling of, 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 of security, I think, when you have a lecturer speaking to you and being accessible, mm -hmm. having the option of mm -hmm. being able to go to their office after a lecture and say, this is what I'm battling with, um, please can you assist? So do you have any words of encouragement or motivation that you'd like to say to a young listener who's just really feeling overwhelmed by what was initially, um, you know, very volume intensive and now has gotten incredibly difficult to manage? Yeah, it must be so tough. I actually can't even imagine um, studying law now without the support of a lecturer. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was, it's not only the lecturer that helps you, students help each other out a lot. Yeah. And for me, I would not have gotten through my degree without one or two of my friends. Um, I mean, I remember even studying for my board exams, like mm -hmm. I... I remember thinking I'm not registered for three board exams and um, I ended up thinking I can't write three at the same time I'm just not gonna rock up for the other one because it's too much work and my one friend who actually got me through my LLB came to my house and was like dude you need to wake up put on mm -hmm. take a shower here are notes um we'll get through this and we'll do it and that was the same experience I had in varsity there were times that I thought I can't do this and your, whether it's like your tutor or your lecturer or even people in the study group, people will be like, okay, we've got you for this exam. Here are study mm. notes. We know you didn't do the prep or you can't do it. Or just sharing resources. I think mm. students share a lot of resources um, and not having that support in addition to your lecturer must be a lot. Mm. So my I would I would encourage students now to reach out to each other. I know technology stuff like Zoom, uh, MS Teams, or even texting or emailing each other notes. I think if students stick together, they will get through this. Mm -hmm. Yes, lecturers are there to provide you. They are a resource, and I think a lot of lecturers have availed themselves if you you know set up calls with them or even on WhatsApp or have um, set up meetings with them separately to try and get guidance on some stuff. But I think students shouldn't underestimate what type of resource the other students are. And I, mm. I think, you know, mm. don't, don't sit in your room by yourself and wallow, you know, reach out to other students. They're experiencing the same thing. Um, as I said, law is a lot of volume and you actually can't do it yourself. So if you have a study group or you can form a study group, that will be amazing. You can still, still do it remotely, um, mm. just divide up the work get some people to summarize the notes, summarize the cases and then share. Mm. Um, I think if you're open to sharing and collaborating, that's the only way you're gonna get through, um, through your degree and, and, and get to the other side. So, so my word of advice is to just rely on other students, form student groups, um, do a bit of the work yourself. Um, and when you do reach out to your lecturers for help, you know, don't, reach out and you haven't done the groundwork. Lovely. Make sure you do the reading, you do all the work so that the amount of time the lecturer gives you one-on-one -on -one or that mm. amount of time that you spend mm. with them is precious and you need to be utilizing it properly in order to get clarity on high level, uh, more complicated aspects of your work as opposed to using that precious time to just get the basics right. Yeah, love that. Thank you so much, Rory.
And then, um, you know, was there any uh, activities you took part in during campus? Um, were you a well-rounded person or were you one of those people that was just like, I need to get, I need to get to the library. I need to, you know, do my work, write exams, get that degree and get out of here. I think I was very well-rounded. Um, mm. Initially, you know, when you rock up to campus, you think you're going to... So you register for all of these amazing activities, right? And you think you're going to get to all of them. Yeah. And the senior students would laugh at all the um, first years coming in because for every um, society that you joined, you got a sticker on your student card, right? Mm. And the first year student card were always full of stickers. And the seniors <laughs> would just laugh at you and be like, dude, you're not going to get <laughs> to all of those activities. But it was the enthusiasm, yeah. okay? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, and then by like final year, you probably have like one sticker on your student card. So mm. initially I registered for all of these things. I never got to any of them uh, because the, just the amount of work was a lot. It became mm. a bit overwhelming. Uh, but I did stick with a few things uh, until final year, which I really enjoyed. I'm not like a sports person. I would go to gym, but I'm not very sporty. But the cultural activities I totally loved. Um, I did Toastmasters. Mm -hmm. in university um I also did the wine club in varsity and at Rhodes it was literally like drinking box wine and you used to think you were so fancy and mm -hmm. meanwhile we are like drinking box wine and now I look at it I'm like oh Rory but anyway why didn't we get like <laughs> why didn't we get sick I don't know I actually don't know but we did get sick I got sick at Oh wow! I can't actually say that. If, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but honestly speaking, that 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 makes up that makes up our campus life. But all I know is, if I were to have if I were to have a glass of Fourth Street today, firstly, I'm not sure if I'd stomach it. Secondly, I probably wouldn't wake up the next day. Yeah, I think it's all part of the experience. You need to go through. You need to those processes but um yeah I I did I did the wine club I did Toastmasters and then the other thing I really enjoyed was I was a sub warden so um how do I explain the sub warden for someone not from Rhodes it's uh, like you're like the boarding master but like mm, the student mm, boarding master, mm. and the university pays you for it I mean I I had to make my own money very quickly so I've mm. been working I think in second year because in as much as yes I've got to go to Rhodes um in my first year, my, I, I got money from scholarships mm. because I did well in matric and then my parents paid for my MIP. Mm. But, you know, as I progressed with my um, university, studies. the sort of financial constraints yeah, with my studies, the, like with financial constraints at home, uh, my other brothers then started going to vote. My younger yes, brothers graduated. Yes. Like now my parents had like three kids that they had to put through varsity mm. and um, we, they just struggled. So I knew very early on that I needed to make my own money um, quickly and try and supplement like my the pocket money that was coming from home. So since I literally have been working since second year, whether it was waiting tables, uh, mm. tutoring, and um, and then I was hired by the university to be a subordinate. Like you apply and you literally just run your, um, it's not a hostel, what it is. So you run the res, you do all of the activities, um, make sure people are signed out and all of that. Um, mm. 
and it was a great way of making money, but also it was a great way to be involved in how Res was functioning. Um, and I really, really enjoyed that. So yeah, that's, the, that's what I did in university. Oh, love that, love that. And then tell us about, um, you know, how was your experience job hunting? Were you headhunted for your articles? And what specifically made you decide on that route that you would be going, you know, the route of articles instead of going in-house or doing your pupillage? So I, I luckily woke up to the fact that you need to get articles in like my third year, right? So I had no concept mm -hmm. of the idea that there are like big law firms in South Africa. I didn't know any of that. As I said, I grew up in Butterworth. Um, my idea of what a lawyer was, was someone who goes to court and does criminal law or divorce, right? Mm -hmm. No one in my family is a lawyer. And so I didn't have that exposure and I didn't understand that there's different types of law. And to a certain extent, I literally was naive about what my degree was for, what I could do with my degree until like my third year. And I'll, and I'll mm. always remember having seen in my head where I saw like a poster for Bowman's then like on mm. campus. It's like, what Bowman's? What, what are these law firms? And then I started Googling. And then all of a sudden, this whole world just like opened up to me and they're like, you know, there's big law firms in South Africa and this is the type of work they do. These are their practice areas. I was like, what? Like, why did no one tell me about this? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I then applied to do VAC work at a couple of the firms in my third year. And I was lucky to get in. And I remember like I called my sister who was living in Joburg at the time and I saved to book um, a bus ticket. Mm. So I paid for the ticket with my money and like, and this whole time, like my parents have no idea this thing I'm doing by myself. And for me, that's as the biggest wake up call in terms of realizing that you actually are not privileged mm. because mm. there are kids here whose parents know the partners at these firms and they get hooked up. Yeah. And here I am, little old me trying to hustle. I've just yeah. stumbled up this thing. And my parents are like, what are you talking about? What, what, what do you, big firms, what, corporate law, mergers and acquisitions? I haven't, like, it just didn't make sense. Mm. And so, like, I stumbled along and I, like, was making calls myself, typing stuff out myself, booking tickets, bus tickets. I was, I went on the 15-hour bus ride to Joburg to go to these firms, taking taxis there and people are getting dropped off in Mercs and BMWs I'm hey, like Whoa. Hey. Mm -hmm. it was rough but but the thing is I, I do have perspective because I could I could book the ticket right I was working I could book the ticket I had access to a laptop to type stuff out and email it to the firms I had a sister who was living in Joburg and could accommodate me so mm -hmm. I am cognizant of the fact that I was more privileged than most, than most but yeah. I still yeah, than most, but I still was very underprivileged in that sense, but it was fine. I went to Joburg, I had a good experience. And I then, so in June of my third year, I did a backward program and then I went back to another firm in December. And then, so I did a five-year degree. And then in uh, my fourth year, in December, I actually, um, all, all the law firms then came to campus to recruit. And by mm. the time that they came, 
the campus to recruit, I already had an in, right? Because I had done the VAC program. The VAC work, and yes. I thought, yeah, the VAC work. And a lot of people like were waking up to the idea of these firms coming to recruit in fifth year. And I'm like, guys, sure. it's late now. Yeah. It's late. Yeah. Like, like people have been doing VAC work since third year. Um, and so by the time they come to campus, if you haven't gone there and you have relationships with the people and some of the people who come to campus to recruit, you already know, right? And they'll recognize your face and you'll be like, oh no, a year ago, um, I did work work and this is the person I work with. They're like, oh, mm, how was your experience? Mm, 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 mm. And so you, if you already have that- The foot in the door, well, yeah. Exactly. So that was my experience. Um, and that's how I got articles. And I remember I had to push out uh, the two interviews with the law firms because I actually was in my third, in my fourth year again. I got, um, I went overseas, so I went to uh, work in Boston in for the December holidays. Again, it was like me hustling, saving up money, trying to go. You know those things where you go and like and work at restaurants um, overseas and you have recruiters. So I was there, yes, like babysitting. Yes working at restaurants I was the checkout girl at um Barnes and Noble in Boston and I mean I enjoyed it I was a, I was a student then and it was fine um doing that sort of work flipping burgers at McDonald's and then I came back and I actually had to push out my interview because I missed my flight in Boston mm -hmm. coming back to South Africa so I called them and luckily they'd been on campus they were going to be on campus for three days and and they understood and I interviewed with them, and uh, that was Bowman's. I interviewed with Bowman's. I interviewed, I think, with Weber's, and I also interviewed with ENS. And then I ended up going, um, getting an offer from, I accepted the offer from Bowman's. Bowman's. So that's how okay. I ended up getting to calls, yeah. Okay, I thought, okay, so you went to the States before you did your articles. Was it... Um, yes. Was it, what's the firm you mentioned? Um, clearly oh, Goit Lab. Yeah, yeah. So, so, okay. So this is, so what happened was I, I did, I went like as a student in fourth year, um, just, uh, I went to Boston and I was flipping burgers and I was like the checkout gold at Barnes and Noble. I did a bit of babysitting. Then mm. I came back. So that was just my student experience. And then I came back and then I did articles at Bowman's and then I was retained as an associate at Bowman's. And in my second year at Bowman's, I then applied for a program and then I went back to the States. Okay. All right. So, yeah. So I went back to the States, um, and the program I'd applied for was the, um, it's called the uh, the Cyrus Vance Center. So the New York City Bar, which is the equivalent of our law society, mm. um, has a department called the Cyrus Vance Center. And the Cyrus Vance Center um, was formed um, with funding from Cyrus Vance, who I think used to be like a secretary of state um, in the US. And he was mm. a lawyer from, I think the 1970s. We had a passion for, um, growing the legal community around the world, especially uh, third world countries in, in, in inverted commas, and he focused a lot on human rights. And so he formed the Van Center to promote international collaboration between lawyers from around the world. And one of the programs that the Van Center runs is the Visiting Lawyer Program, where they get lawyers from um, sort of third world countries, again, inverted commas, I don't like that term, to mm. come to New York. 
experience big corporates, working in big corporates in New York, working with Wall Street clients, and basically giving them exposure that they would not get in their home country. Ah, okay. And right. yeah, and 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 the and the the visiting lawyer program specifically focused on South Africa because. Um, because of apartheid. So the program mm. actually started during apartheid and it was a, them, a way of them of empowering black lawyers in South Africa to basically fight the system and be able to get international connections. And they realized that lawyers in South Africa are not gonna get that exposure in South Africa because of apartheid. And so they did the program to try and um, get them those connections and that exposure and to just equip them to have a global footprint. Um, and then post-apartheid, the program then continued and it sort of changed from, it moved from more like a human rights um, focus to more corporate law because I, I guess the, the idea behind it was that, you know, South Africa needed lawyers who were skilled in differently post-apartheid. So they needed Black lawyers who were going to have um, corporate muscle, be able to go into corporate South Africa, be able to go into the big law firms and actually rise up the ranks and be able to effect change from within. Okay. So that was the rationale. Yeah. So that was the rationale behind the program. Um, and I mean, for anyone listening and who's interested, the program is still running now. And I always tell a lot mm -hmm. of my mentees that they definitely need to look out for it because it was it's an amazing opportunity. You you apply for it. They'll send out applications every year. You apply for it. And you go through like I think three interviews, and every year they choose between three or four lawyers um, from the applicants, uh, and they place them in big corporate law firms in um, in New York, and they pay for your flights, they pay for I think a month's accommodation in New York, and then the law firms they will then start paying you, and mm. you get paid the same as all of their associates, and the salary is actually quite good. Mm, um, mm, mm. And, it's an amazing, amazing opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So apart from, you know, the experience being incredible, just making it into the program, how was your time um, spent in the States, far from home, having been a girl who comes from a small town and went to also a relatively, um, you know, close-knit campus? How was the experience being out of SA, out of the continent, out of your small town? The experience was fine, hey, because I think the fact that I went to boarding school helped. So it's I wasn't as sheltered, maybe as someone who hadn't gone to boarding school. And what was nice about the program is that you actually get a lot of support and you go there with like three or four other people from South Africa, mm. um, which really helped. And so we all like clung to each other um, throughout the time there. But um, New York also has a very uh, rich South African community. Hey? So mm, mm. I found a lot of other South Africans there. Um, and South Africans are very, we sort of rally around each other, I found, like when you're in another country. So mm. it was, that was nice for me. I got to meet um, a lot of South Africans who were there. Um, and the, the, the big auditing firms also have, similar programs and there were quite a few South Africans who were more or less starting out their careers mm. who also went to New York on like similar programs but not and, and they were in other professions as well so I got introduced to those people um, and the Van Center itself is very supportive um, and the law firms them even the law firms are also very supportive um, 
the law firm, as I said, that I worked for there was Cleary Gottlieb Steen and Hamilton. Um, what I found interesting about them was that they have a Black Lawyers Association, right? And they're very unapologetic about it mm -hmm. within the law firm. And I thought to myself, in South Africa, you would have a revolt mm -hmm. if you had a Black Lawyers Association within the law firm. Yeah. And they would like hold Black people meetings and they would, and they had a committee that just focused on their events mm. during Black History Month. You knew that the Black Lawyers Association within the firm had events. They're very big on diversity. They drive the diversity conversation within the law firm. Mm. And um, South African law firms, I don't think would be ready to have such an yeah. organization. We, we, we talk we no, there would be a revolt. Mm. They, no, mm. literally they'd be like, hashtag all lives matter. Sure, but you know- so, Yeah, you, that was my yeah thank you thank you for sharing sure and just you know while we're on the topic of transformation um there was a conversation that i was having not too long ago around um these firms that have now started adopting a how can i phrase it um like a i don't know if i can call it a mentorship program right where they encourage the the senior white male specifically or where they encourage relationships between, um, you know, black juniors and white seniors, where the white seniors are specifically tasked with giving matters and giving, um, you know, on almost autonomy to their, their black junior, uh, junior staff members. And we were saying, even though that's supposed to, you know, um, foster some sort of culture of transformation, as the blacks in the company, we still do feel sidelined, you know, there's that feeling of this is a handout. And even though this program has been put in place, we are still able to see clearly who is getting the, the cream of the crop when it comes to the quality of the work, or, um, you know, you end up saying so-and-so is, is a white associate, she's allowed to sit in meetings and she's also allowed to contact clients directly. And she's also allowed to even go for lunch with clients without a senior partner being present. Whereas when it's with me, I first have to send an email to the senior partner who has to vet it and okay it for me to send it out. And when there is then an invitation for me to go to lunch with a client, I'm always babysat by a senior you know, a senior partner who comes with me to the lunch meeting. What what is what is your um, take on that, and 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 what can you share with us from your own experience? Do you do you feel you were mentored during your time at Bowman's? Do you feel um, that there was still that thing of being sidelined when comparing yourself to your um, your peers? You can't see me now, but I'm rolling my eyes. You know these, these, these programs. <laughs> no, honestly, these programs where they say, "Oh, we set up a program mentorship." All of that stuff doesn't work. It doesn't work because it it it's not aligned to how human nature is. And and I always say that I I can't I I shy away from painting certain firms. So I won't be like that firm is racist. People mm -hmm. within firms are racist, but the mm -hmm. firm itself is not. So mm -hmm. throughout my career and all the firms I've worked in, or even now or when I've worked in-house. I've had good experiences and I've had bad experiences. I've had people who have mentored me. I've had people who um, 
have tried to upskill me and those people are black, some of them are white. Um, I've had bad experiences. Um, I've had bad experiences with white colleagues or white seniors who haven't trained me and haven't treated me well. Um, in terms of black people, I've had bad experiences with black males. Um, I haven't had bad experiences with black females. Contrary to popular belief that females don't support each other, females are like nasty towards each other. I haven't had that experience um, with, um, I haven't had that experience with black females. I have had mm. a bad experience with black males who, um, where you get the idea that they actually don't trust you because you're female and they'll prioritize like black males within their own circle, but that's uh, a story for another day. Mm. But just going back to transformation within the law firms, nothing is going to change until you have black seniors who have financial muscle in terms of having big practices and they can then train and mentor junior associates. Mm. I'm not saying that I, I, I don't, there are white seniors within these big firms. And I mean, I'm going to talk to the big firm experience because that's the only experience I have. I can't yes, talk about yes. medium size because that's I, I don't have that experience. Um, I've had experiences of being trained and mentored by white males and white females, but obviously those are few, they're fewer than experiences where I've had training from like black males mm -hmm. or like black females. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I don't wanna say that everyone is racist in the big firms, no, they're mm -hmm. not. It's just different individuals and you have a different experience with each individual. Mm -hmm. And um, where I got my, tra I got my training at Norton Ross Fulbright. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky because, and the training was intentional. If you need intention behind something. So I was lucky because I joined the firm and um, where it was headed up by um, an Indian male. And he intentionally recruited black directors to work in the firm. So it was banking and finance. There were a handful of black directors who actually had their own matters, who ran their own transactions. And they intentionally sought out associates and senior associates to sort out the team to, who were black with international experience. And there, was an, and there was an intention behind creating a team like that. And so I was lucky because I, I got to get training from lawyers who are very competent, who are highly ranked um, in the market, but it was intentional. It didn't just happen. And I, I haven't seen any team like that for banking and finance with that many black lawyers in it. I must be honest, anywhere else or in any of the other firms. I mean, that team is not there anymore. Everyone else is has he, on. But I was going to say, has he now started his own law firm in Santon? Yes. <laughs> yes, I see. <laughs> he has, but I mean, I, I look back at those four years and honestly, those four years have been the best four years in terms of my career mm. because I got mm. training. Um, they intentionally, like the associates who didn't have international experience, they intentionally sent them to secondments, to London, to Australia. By the end of the four years, almost all of the associates, they had interna international um, experience, mm. um, who all were trained very well. They were, like we had scheduled on Tuesdays and Thursdays, there was training for all of the associates, right? Whether mm. you're black or white. And so whether or not you fall through the cracks because you're not getting work, if there's like a, a set training program for you, then at least you will get that 
you will at least you will get that training mm. um and so that was that was my experience and um so just to go back one of the one of the most life-changing moments for me when I was in New York at Cleary Gottliebstein in Hamilton was we, we were called in by HR at some point and it was like a luncheon for all the associates and HR said to us, you know, uh, you guys are like the cream of the crop from your universities. And I mean, these were like kids from like Harvard and Stanford mm, and all mm. these fancy universities in the States. And they were treated like you are skilled labor and you're lucky to be here, first of all. For me, that was a big realization that actually, when you go into a law firm, they're not doing you a favor, mm. right? They're not doing you a favor, they have an obligation to train. And I remember that this is your training program for the year. These are the courses you're all gonna do. Mm. Um, we have, as a firm, we have an obligation to train you. It was like that statement was just mind blowing for me. I was like, what do you mean? Law firms have an obligation to train you. Aren't they doing you a favor by even giving you articles mm, or you mm. being here? Mm. And then I was like, this is amazing. Like it, it totally changed my perspective of the dynamics of the relationship between you as a candidate attorney or an associate with mm. your firm. Mm. they're not doing you a favor mm. you they picked you because you did well in university and you are like the cream of the you're pot. an asset yeah. and if, you're an asset yes and if you did well in varsity how do you get to your law firm and all of a sudden you're stupid and you don't know mm. what you're doing if you did so well in school mm. there's a mismatch for that and for me for the longest time until I went to the states to be honest with you I, there were moments where I thought, you know, Rory, you're not good enough. Rory, you're not cut out for this. And it's exactly some of the stuff you were talking about that you won't say anything in meetings because you're not told beforehand what the matter is about. Yeah. And then you see your white contemporaries, they're talking at meetings, mm. they know what's potting. And you think, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not smart enough. Why, mm. why are they talking? Why do they know what's happening? And I don't. Kanti, the whole time they're, they're being given emails from last week to read through before we go to the meeting. They Absolutely. are being told, they, they've been, they've, this is like the third or fourth meeting of the matter and they went to the first three and we're mm. like coming to meet number four because they're mm. not here today and they need to take notes. And then you feel like, oh, man, but why don't I understand? Thrown into Kanti, the deep end. Exactly, you're thrown into the deep end you're not given proper instructions. And obviously the output of your work then is gonna show because you don't have clear instructions. Then your documents or your contracts come up and they're highlighted with red mark everywhere and you are getting things wrong. And you're like, but if I don't have proper instructions, mm. but when you're going that you don't realize it's only once you're out of the situation. And for me, again, I realized that when I got out of the situation and I was put in an environment where I was mentored, which was in the States, I was mentored. I did well. I was hitting my targets. I was getting proper training. Um, and it was just, it was just life-changing for me from that mm. sense. And it just changed the perspective of, it made me realize how much power I have. Um, how much power I have and it just enabled me to stop being intimidated mm. because I, I was in an environment where I was working with people who are just hardcore at an international level and are working on like billion dollar transactions and then you come to South Africa and you have directors who 
I'm sorry to say, are not as highly ranked or are not as global. And then they just treat you horribly. And I'm like, no, this guy who is like ranked internationally thought I was smart and I was amazing. And if that mm. guy thinks I'm amazing mm. and smart, then, you know, actually your thoughts about me don't matter and they're not going to influence what I think about myself. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and the sure. other thing, and the other thing like that the HR person that clearly said that stuck with me was um, they called us during the year at another meeting, they called us and they said, look, um, we know that like, I think there was 30 candidate attorneys who came in or 30 first year associates who came in that year. And they said, look, in terms of our statistics, only about three or four of you are going to make it to partnership. Mm. We know that a lot of there's a lot of attrition. You're not going to get to make it to partnership, and um, we know that you're going to leave to go in house or to corporate or to start your own companies. And because of the training you're getting at this law firm, we know that you guys are going to go into corporate and become superstars, and you'll end up being potential clients for us. We want to treat you guys well, and if you think this is not working for you, you must come to us as HR and we will help you find another job because, and we want to maintain those relationships with you. So they were like, we'll help yeah. you with your CV. We'll help you with your CV. Um, and they have this booklet that they publish every year. And it has the names of all of the alumni in different corporates around the world. So if you want, they say, if you want to go to Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan or any of the big banks internationally, these are the alumni that we have there. And there's a list, here's the booklet, here are their numbers, here are the email addresses. If you want us to set up meetings with you, yeah, you know, talk to us. I was, it was mind blowing. I was like, guys, South Africa like, is so far that just That just made me so warm and fuzzy inside. Like I'm, I'm, I'm tearing up. Like that is, that is so intentional and so special. Yeah, but it makes sense though. You know it that does. everyone is gonna to partner. You know that all of those people are going to end up being clients, which is the position I'm in exactly, now, right? I'm at a, exactly. I'm a senior legal advisor. I dish out work consistently mm, to law Always looking for and panels, yes. Exactly. And if I don't have a good experience at a law firm and you treat me horribly and you know I'm going to leave, right? I'm not going to, statistically, I'm not going to make it to partner. But because of the name associated with the law firm where I'm coming from, I will get into great positions in corporate mm. and... I was dishing up work. So why is it not in your best interest to treat me well? Absolutely. It just, Absolutely. I, Cause now, I, was, I was mind blown. Because now selecting a, a panel of attorneys for your company is in your hands. And if you didn't have a great experience, why on earth would you, why on earth would you want to forge a relationship with that company or, or with that firm all over again? Exactly. And now like probably like 80% of the work that I give out is with lawyers who I've worked with before. And so I know they're competent, but also lawyers who I have a good relationship with. Mm -hmm. Obviously they still need to be on the panel um, um, for APSA, but I am not going to work with someone who I know didn't treat me well. Mm -hmm. um, and then just going back as well to the conversation of what we can do about transformation. Yes, the big part, the, the way that transformation in the legal sector is going to happen is that you have senior directors who are black within these law firms who have power, who have proper transactions and can stuff. 
work with junior black associates, right? Secondly, mm -hmm. you need to put financial targets for everyone of the firm to meet their transformation um, requirements. And so they need to show, like for example, a senior partner should be able to say 80% of the billable time um, on my matters was from black associates. Mm, you mm. already have the concept of billing time in law firms and you can keep track of who's doing what work. So if you associate, so if you link um, uh, remuneration to meeting your targets, that's another way of doing it. If you're just doing it all really nilly and it's all fluffy and you don't link um, remuneration to it, nothing's going to change. And then yeah. I think lastly, people like me who are in positions to actually give out work need to insist on using black juniors mm. otherwise nothing's going to happen mm. and so when mm. i get work i'll say who are your black associates so even if i'm a historically white law firm i'll say i want to see black associates on your matter and yeah, yeah. and also be intentional yourself when you're on right and say and give and give them a voice and say during a call if you are the client say to the uh, white director, oh, I would like to hear Debello's views on this. And if Debello mm. stumbles because she doesn't mm. know, you must be encouraging. You mm. must be like, oh, okay, maybe go to Mr. Director, whatever, next time, please make sure Debello is up to date with what I'm doing. Yeah, uh, sure. I actually also want to send emails from Debello. So please ask her to please send me the emails. Don't, you know, you, mm. it, it's intentional. It won't happen organically. Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I do remember having a conversation along these lines that, um, you know, the first guest on season two um, uh, was was talking about she is a, the head of graduate recruitment at Bowman's currently. And she was talking about the fact because I was asking her, do you think, um, you know, uh, transformation and representation of especially black women in the legal profession is also somewhat dependent on recruiters? And she was like, we can get the numbers. We are able to say, okay, mm. we, this year we are hiring 10 black women uh, and, five, and five white women. But what happens once they're inside the system? Are they getting mentored by the other black women at the top? Are they getting mentored by the other white women at the top? Are they getting mentored by the other black men at the top who have the financial muscle or who have the political muscle within the law firm to actually ensure that all black 10, you know, uh, female candidate attorneys are getting the same or similar exposure to the work. And you're absolutely right in what mm. you've just said. Yeah, no, it's, it's it, honestly, it's up to us. It's honestly, it's up to us. It's up to those people who've risen up the ranks, who have a little bit of power. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't have like amounts of work to give out, but the little that I can do, you know, I try and do, but mm. yeah, it's honestly, it's transformation is not going to happen organically. Yeah. There needs to be intention behind it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yo, Rory, I can already tell that we're going to speak for the whole day. <laughs> um, you've got so, <laughs> you've got so much insights. I mean, just having you with 14 years of experience in the legal profession, I know you've got a lot to share with us. But just in the interest of time, can you tell us about, um, you know, your side hustle, which, I, I, you know, that term, I don't really like using it, but your other interests lie in you being the CEO and the founder of, of Council, um, which you've mentioned that you run in your spare time. How is that going? Can you tell us a little bit about the platform 
what kind of work do you do? What kind of things do you educate about? Um, yeah, and who are the stakeholders? What are the daily tasks of, of council? Even though you are running it in your spare time, I'm sure you can just share with us what you do with the council and how people can get involved with um, the platform. Sure. Um, I'm so passionate about this. And I just, again, I could talk about this exact topic <laughs> for like hours and hours on end. Mm -hmm. So as you said, I um, have a company called Off Council. And um, I actually formed Off Council, I think during the lockdown, you know, everyone was the first lockdown, everyone yeah. you know, then was had, had cabin fever. And I just had a lot of time to think about what I wanted to do. And then I didn't have clarity of thought in terms of what it is I wanted to do um, with the company or the platform, but I just thought, you know, I need to uh, position my brand in a specific way and have like, just even if it's just a website mm. to show all the work I'm interested in and the things that I want to do, um, mm. I just needed one single platform to sort of put all of my interests in the law. I'm very passionate about uh, being a lawyer. I know a lot of people, you know, are always planning their grace to escape from the law and always looking for alternatives. I, I've had, there's been, I've had bad experiences with being a lawyer, but mm. at least now I know because I have the perspectives that I've got, I realize that I don't hate being a lawyer, I enjoy it. I might have had bad experiences in the law, but I think law in itself is amazing. I think having a legal education is amazing. I think it gives you um, a lot of skills that you can either use for other stuff when you leave uh, the law or even just generally in your life. It helps you analyze and synthesize information. You are just a lot more um, aware of sort of things that are happening around you. You can articulate yourself well. It teaches you how to speak. It just mm. equips you in so many ways um, that whatever you do, I think if you have that legal background, you will you will be successful mm. and so i formed off council just initially it was a website that just had my name there um it was more focused on my branding um i also like to write a lot so i like i write about legal topics i write about um uh, digital transformation i write about how the profession is changing and um it was just initially like my blog and to put up stuff i'm doing there um i also mentor a lot of genius so it was also just a way for me to put everything together that I'm doing about the law in one place mm. and it has sort of evolved since then um into 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 other things so I do uh, legal training now so I do legal training around property finance and again it goes back to what we're talking about about transformation and the fact that people need to be upskilled and the fact that it's up to you to impart the knowledge that you've got. So I use it as a platform to try and impart the knowledge that I have to others. Um, and doing one, doing it one-on-one -on -one is what I've been doing over the last few years. But I, I feel like in order to reach more people, I need to be able to have a platform that okay. can reach a broader audience. Yeah. So my hope eventually for off council is that it will have an aspect of training legal training on there um and i know especially the field i'm in like banking and finance there aren't a lot of black lawyers who do banking and finance or have exposure mm -hmm. to like corporate law um and so i'm hoping to use the platform eventually as a place um 
as a means to be able to train juniors um, and all of that will be done digitally right so it won't so that I can reach a wider audience yeah um, and the other thing I use off council for is and I'm very excited to announce this um, uh, we'll be launching a podcast soon Yay. the podcast is also called Yes, I'm very excited. Um, the podcast is called Off Council as well. It's the same name as the company. Mm. And um, the stated objectives of the company, Off Council, is that we we just want to change how people think about the law, how they learn about the law and how they practice law. Yeah. And in terms of um, just learning about the law, I, I want to sort of put everything I know on a digital platform and so mm. people learn about the law like on their phones or on the go and not have to sit like in long, long lectures, uh, whether you are in-house or whether you're in a firm. Mm. I think learning on the go now is the way to go. Absolutely. And to just not write out slides and then people read slides. That's not what mm. training is. Mm. Um, I'm hoping to have like more interesting interactive training and have that interface on the platform but that's probably like a project for the next year the project that we are launching now is a podcast and the podcast talks to just um the objective that we have of changing how people think about the law yeah the podcast is i'll be interviewing different guests who are doing different and interesting things with their legal careers <coughs> um <coughs> the guests uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I got the hint. Um, yes, I will be. <laughs> I will. I will be uh, interviewing different guests uh, mm. on the platform. And um, the aim of the podcast is to just um, highlight what you can do with your legal education and to just mm. show that a legal education is very versatile, right? So mm -hmm. you don't need, your options are not either being in a law firm or being in-house and your Absolutely. options are not either practicing criminal law or divorce or even just doing corporate law. Um, there's people who do just, you know, like just amazing, amazing practice mm. and very interesting um, practice areas. And um, so every, the podcast will be released every two weeks. An episode will be released every two weeks. Um, the guests on the platform are very highly ranked lawyers who are like at the top of their game. And it's people who used to be lawyers and have left or people who are currently practicing law. And they're all in unique, different fields so just to give you an example like one of my guests is involved in space law as in law that deals with like satellites and going into space um there's guests who like will talk about being practicing military law I, like i didn't even understand that like there is military lawyers in south africa you know you know that show jag yeah oh sh yeah that's a very old yeah, show like, <laughs> yeah it's very old but there's like people who practice military law in south africa um some of the guests do like competition law um one of the other guests like and this is just for season one mm. one of the guests is involved in like bioethics mm. um and she talks about um like genetic modification or like uh dealing with um, genetic alteration of um, like genes. I don't mm, know, like mm, I'll have to mm. dab more about it, but mm. like um, it, she's doing a lot of interesting work and she's, yeah. 
So that's those are the type of guests that I'll have on. Um, and they'll just tell us about their practice areas, um, their different fields, how they got in there. And also they'll talk about like what are the key drivers of change or transformation within these specific fields. Mm, mm. So yeah, I'm excited about it. That that's that sounds very, very exciting. I'm particularly excited about the space law X aspect because just just this week, we heard about, um, you know, a helicopter or a drone that flew in Mars for a total of 39 seconds. And they were exactly, comparing it. Yeah. yeah, they were comparing it to like, you know, in the Wright brothers, their first craft only flew for 12 seconds or so 39 seconds really shows that in the future, there may be, um, there may be an opportunity for us to travel to Mars. So yeah, very exciting. Very in the exciting. 14th yeah 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 i mean (laughs) i don't know if like regular regular me will make it to mars but (laughs) (laughs) at least we'll know that we know that it's it's possible you know it's 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 in the foreseeable future it is it is yeah yeah sure rory that is very very exciting i'm definitely going to share details of your podcast in the description And yeah, I hope everybody who's already been inspired by this particular podcast will be even more inspired by your podcast to learn of all the different um, facets of the law and all the different career paths that one has with with their legal degree. And I really just hope that students start appreciating and understanding just how versatile, um, you know, the legal practice and the legal industry is. Mm, mm, Agreed. Sure. Yeah, no. Looking at the time, we've definitely come to the end of this episode, Rory. I know that you've got so much more to share with us, but it will be very difficult to get somebody to listen to two hours or three hours of an episode. (laughs) (laughs) So we've definitely reached the end of this particular episode. I cannot thank you enough for availing yourself. I know, um, you know, off air, you we spoke about how difficult it is working from home with three young girls under the age of 10. So I'm glad under, we the, age of to, under the age of six. Yes, that's the one. I'm glad we managed <laughs> to make it through this, um, through this show without any interruptions. But obviously, if they had decided to, to feature on the show, I was going to have to get them to introduce themselves and say hello <laughs> to everyone. <laughs> but yeah, um, you know, just coming to a close of the show, is there anything that Um, you know, a pet peeve or a social ill or anything that keeps you up at night or anything that we haven't been able to discuss on the show that I haven't asked you, which you really um, want to discuss. It can really relate to anything. It doesn't have to relate to the law or you can just give um, words of advice or motivation to young girls or to anybody in practice who's looking to go out of practice or who's looking to go um, out of the legal field as a whole just anything that you want to say in these last two minutes sure um, look my pet peeve is just you know the transformation thing for me is a big thing mm. and um, I just want young associates to know that I just I, my daughter just came in now she's making faces at me let me walk away Perfect I just want, <laughs> I, I just mm. Let me lock myself into a different room because these people are out here messing with me. Yeah, I just want people to not underestimate themselves, hey, and to just mm. under not to underestimate their value. Mm. And um, I think the the South African legal fraternity is behind 
in terms of how they do business. I do think that the rest of the world has sort of somehow moved on in terms of the transformation agenda. And I'm not saying that, you know, for example, in the US that they fully transformed, they have their own issues. But I think mm. um, they're at a point now where, first of all, Black practitioners own their narrative and Black practitioners don't shy away from um, forming bodies within the law firms that talk to their needs. Um, I think my one thing I would say to junior lawyers as well is that, look, law firms have an obligation to you too. So you must stop mm -hmm. thinking that they're doing you a favor by you being there. And I think if, if you start off with that mindset, you will be more bold in your requests and you'll be more bold in how you go about doing your work. Mm. So in as much as you have an obligation to do the work, law firms have an obligation to you to train you. First of all, you if you take nothing else from this episode, you must just remember that, that they have an mm. obligation to train you. That's what articles are there for. Mm. Um, if you are not um, getting the support that you need, I just want you for people to just know you're not stupid. You are just not getting the support that you need. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the stuff that you have to do, you actually need to get proper instructions and you need to get proper training. So, so yeah, just don't underestimate yourself. You're smart, you're competent. Um, you just need to find the right environment and you need to just get the mentorship that you mm -hmm that you deserve mm -hmm. absolutely sure I, I i couldn't agree with you more absolutely absolutely yeah so those sure. those are just my parting words but yeah. um thank you so much for having me i really enjoyed this discussion thank um you. i'm really inspired by your podcast and all of the episodes i've listened to um so far i've related to every single one of your guests and i think mm -hmm. as black female practitioners we have a mm -hmm. lot of shit experiences mm -hmm. and I think platforms like this are very important for just um, collaboration understanding that we are not um, working Hello. in isolation or yeah 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 so yeah. so thank you so much thank you so much Rory it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and yeah you and I will continue chatting offline about all the other stuff we can we can work together on yeah, definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Good day. Bye.